Hi everyone, on this episode we hear from Jesse McAuliffe, who is a fifth-year physics graduate student working at the IceCube Neutrino Observatory. She is also starting a video project called Portrait of a Scientist that plans to highlight diversity in STEM. The project is a video montage that aims to deconstruct stereotypes about what a scientist looks and acts like and demystify who can be a scientist. It relies on community-submitted videos and images that complete the phrase I am a scientist and I also blank. I will provide more details on this project in the description. In this episode, Jessie will talk about her wide array of interests and involvements. I hope you enjoy. We've we've crossed past this a few times in like social in some social interactions. Um, but I we haven't overlapped a whole lot. And so I did, you know, a search of like, oh, what kind of stuff does Jesse do in terms of like research? And I saw you did stuff with the Ice Cube project. Yes. Correct. Can you? So I'm aware of Ice Cube as a project. And I know they post cool pictures that I now have as a background on my phone. I'm like, that's a cool picture. <laughs> but I don't fully know what, what Ice Cube does. So can you explain a little bit like kind of what the project does and what research you do that kind of fits inside of that? Yeah, so um, IceCube is a neutrino telescope. And so what that means is that we have um, our detector buried under the ice in the South Pole. Um, and so we actually have like 5,160 modules buried under the ice. And it covers like a cubic kilometer of ice. Um, and we use that to detect um, particles, which um, in our case is neutrinos is what we focus on. Um, and so we focus on neutrinos that come from um, both space, so astrophysical neutrinos, and um, the work I do specifically is focusing more on the atmospheric neutrinos, so the ones that are just generated in our atmosphere. Um, and then on a day-to-day -day basis, um, I'm actually doing a lot of programming. So um, I typically am writing a, a software program right now that's supposed to help improve our reconstruction of these particles to figure out um, where they came from, what direction they're going, and like what, what energy they had when we detect them. Oh, that's super cool. So since the detector is in the South Pole, I imagine everything is, obviously you are not in the South Pole. So is everything you, most people involved can kind of remote with only just like a few people there? Or how does yeah. that work? Yeah, they have, they have people at the station year round. Um, and like that's like two people who that we call our winter overs who stay there year round um and they switch them out every year and then um in the the summer of this uh the south pole which is our winter um they actually send some people down there to kind of help with some of the technical work and and do some like um installations and prototype testing um and so actually someone in my research group um she's actually gone down there before so um It'd be really cool if I got to go down there, but uh, they only take a couple people a year, so I'll be applying, but um, all the work I do at the moment um, and most of our collaboration is remote. Okay, that's super cool. So what year are you into grad school? I just started my fifth year. Okay, okay. Were you like a part of this project the entire time in grad school or did you switch into this later? Yeah, when I came to grad school, I, I knew I wanted neutrino physics. Um, neutrinos to me are just like the most interesting particle. Um, we don't know a lot about them. They're one of the most abundant in our universe. 
um, and we still don't know a lot about them just because they're so hard to detect because they rarely interact. Um, and so that just like always fascinated me when I found out about that in undergrad. And so I knew my research for grad school was gonna be associated with that. So when I came to MSU, there's only like two professors at the time who were doing neutrino physics. Um, and that was Kendall Mon, who works on T-Decay, and uh, Tyce DeYoung, who works on Ice Cube. And so when, my first summer here, um, I'd been talking to Kendall, but she was kind of full of students. And so she referred me over um, to Ty, and he um, offered me a job the summer before I started grad school, and I've been working with him ever since. Oh, nice. So when you're an undergrad, how did you become aware of neutrino physics then? Yeah, so I started, um, I started doing like uh, particle physics research with a different particle, um, which is called a kaon. And I did that, I did that work um, just like as my first, I just uh, like kind of got referred to a professor to work with. And I was like, this sounds interesting and kind of just jumped into research. Um, and then I had done that work for a while and I applied for a, a SULI, a science undergrad laboratory internship, um, also in particle physics or high energy physics because I was interested in those things that I was currently doing. And I ended up on an experiment that was building a prototype neutrino detector. Uh, and so that was really the first time that I was really introduced to neutrino physics and research. Um, and so that work was more hands-on. Um, so I was actually kind of like testing a detector that already existed and, and kind of working with electronics. Um, and I really enjoyed the, the background of the neutrino physics, but I, I had figured out at that point that I was more interested in the, in the programming side of research. Oh, okay, fair enough. What, so I guess two questions, like where did you go to undergrad and like kind of when did you make that decision? Was that like early on in undergrad or kind of later? Yeah, so it was pretty late. Um, I went to University of Michigan. Um, so I actually, I ended up doing five years there and it was for a couple of reasons. And one was the fact that I actually started physics my sophomore year. Um, I had been thinking of doing it as a minor. And so I didn't take my first physics class at the college level until my sophomore year. And like two weeks into that, I had like declared the physics major. Um, I just like really liked that class. And I wasn't completely decided I was doing physics forever, but I kind of was just like, you know, I can declare it now and I can always take it off later. So I might as well declare it. Um, and so that's kind of where I started in physics. Um, and then that class actually was the honors physics class, which taught us um, VPython, which is visual Python. And so that was my first time ever programming and I liked it. Um, and all the research I did um, most of the research I did had had a programming aspect to it. And so I don't know if I necessarily like, I didn't take outside of like some physics classes, I think I took one computational physics. I didn't take any like computer science classes. Um, I was mostly just like my research and I was self-taught, but I just really enjoyed those type of problems. Um, and so when I came to grad school, I had heard that MSU had a dual PhD with the uh, computational mathematics science and engineering department. And so I went that direction and said, well, I like doing this in research. I might as well do the dual PhD. And so I started taking those classes. And those were actually like my first official like non-physics uh, uh, programming classes that I took. How do you like doing the CMSC dual degrees? Because first of all, that sounds like really hard to me <laughs> of 
like one degree wasn't hard enough, I'll do two. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they have they have ways to make it easier, right? So like, I don't have to take one of the like subject tests for physics. Um, and then I take two of the subject tests out of the four in CMSE. So like overall, I only have to take like one additional test. Um, and then I had to take like a total of four classes in CMSE, which I was probably gonna take anyway. I think I ended up taking five that qualify by the time I'm like done with classes. So um, I really enjoyed, I enjoyed it because like I said, it was like my first real non-physics programming classes. Um, and so it just gave me a lot of knowledge outside of the physics area. And one thing I really like in research and um, I'm considering saying in academia and what I would like to do is kind of take like the forefront of computer science research and, and apply it to physics research because a lot of physics research is, is behind in what they're doing with their, their computational knowledge. And so kind of bringing the, the two together is kind of one of the things that I've enjoyed doing so far um, and really hope to do in the future. Okay. Do you get to, or did you, or are you currently interacting with a lot of people that are like heavily emphasized in like the CMC kind of computational stuff, or is it primarily physics people interact with, or is it like a good mixture of both? Um, at one point I was interacting with more CMSE people. Now that I don't have the classes in it, I've definitely kind of just like reverted to my research group. And I would say that's also like the same for my physics, like connections too, is like, I talked to a lot of the grad students at large when I was in classes. And like the later and later you go in your years, um, my research group is now also very large. Um, we have four professors, five professors, five professors working in our research group, which means we have like a small army between our grad students and postdocs and, and undergrads. Um, so yeah, on a on a day-to-day -day basis, I don't typically interact too much with CMSC, though I do love going to some of their like opportunities. Um, they have like some lunch and learns with the engineering um, college and stuff. So I actually take advantage of those. Okay. And I would imagine that just given the project and lab itself, it probably leads to collaborations with others like outside of MSU, right? So. Yeah, yeah. Our collaboration's international. So I think we have like 250 people on our collaboration. Um, so yeah, we have, we, I, I do interact with, with the collaboration too, not just uh, the people at MSU. Okay, that's really cool. I kind of want to like jump back, sorry, I'm just like jumping around topic wise, but I kind of want to go back to, you had mentioned when you were an undergrad, like you had came into physics later, you know, just your second year, it's not like super late or anything, but I'm curious, like what, what were you originally going into? I can't remember you saying you had, you were double majoring in something that is not related to physics at all. So I'm kind of curious to learn about that. Yeah. Yeah. So it was actually interesting. So when I started, um, when I started undergrad, I, I had planned to go into science and I actually had um, a chemistry major declared. Um, and so I was working towards a chemistry major, but something I had picked up at uh, in my senior year of high school was um, I had been on a couple film sets uh, because one of my high school teachers actually was doing, I want to say a master's in film. Um, and so I got to help out on some of the productions that she was working on. And so when I was at University of Michigan, I also started looking at their film degree. And so kind of fast forward to when I realized I wanted to go into physics, 
Um, I ended up declaring that major my sophomore year. And <laughs> I kind of realized the, the more I got in my physics classes, the, the less I actually liked chemistry. Um, so I just like really dreaded going to my chemistry classes. Um, I was getting better grades in, in my chemistry courses, but I just like didn't enjoy it as much. And so I ended up moving that to a minor. And once I did that, um, I didn't want to overload on my physics classes since I started late. Um, and so I kind of just was resigned to the fact that I wanted to spread it out. And so I was going to be there for five years total. And so I happened to have some time open my schedule. And so that's when I declared the, the film major. Um, so that was my second major. And I, and I did that as, as my second major. That's super awesome. So what about filming? making was it that you liked was it the like there's multiple different sides or aspects to this i'm curious like what is your favorite or interest in that yeah so i started in the in the lighting department uh mostly which i thought was really fun um but like i also i was really interested in cinematography and camera um but honestly just like for me even just being on film set was just a really fun and creative like problem solving like experience um, because like you're always behind schedule you always like need to like come up with all these solutions um, so I was just thought it was just like a really fun experience to be on a film set and like try and like as much as you try and plan ahead of time there's always going to be things that like kind of come up um, so I just really enjoyed that like the, all the projects that I've ever been on for, for filming. That's, that's super cool I bet you know just those skills of being adaptable you know are useful today because in physics or especially in science in general, nothing ever works the first time. <laughs> and Yeah, it was always interesting to me because, you know, I had two very different friend groups in undergrad because I had my friends from like the film program and my friends from the physics program. And um, it was interesting how like paralyzed some people, especially I noticed like in my film program could get when a problem came up. And for me, I was just like so used to that. Like research does not work the way that you want it to work ever. And so it was just like, Anytime a problem came up on film set, it's just like, okay, we just need to solve this. Like, this is normal, this is gonna happen. And it's just like a lot of the other people on film set, I often notice it's just like, we're so thrown off by what problems coming up. Nice. Are you still involved in any way with you know, film or anything like that now? I imagine grad school is very hard and time consuming. <laughs> want to be jumping back on more film sets. Um, I still use my editing uh, a bit. I'm actually hoping to start a new video project um, soon and so I'll be using my editing um, to do that but I haven't really done a lot of uh, production sets recently. Okay what so I guess in my mind you know I I know bits and pieces but I, like I was never involved with with film or theater or anything like that so when you say film set, kind of like, I feel like that can probably mean several different things, maybe, mm -hmm. maybe not. Um, can you sort of explain like, what is the scale or what is that you, what you were doing stuff for or with? Yeah, so I mean, a lot of, a lot of the stuff I, the mo majority of the stuff I did were like student film sets. So that could range from like, you know, six people um which like was typical for the the intro classes to you know they did a collaboration for a while they're doing a collaboration between msu um and university of michigan and wayne state and they would have like upwards of like 30 main people on it with like extra help 
So that was like a bigger film set where they were making like 30 minute videos instead of like the 10 minute videos we make in our classes. Um, but I also got to do some like local film sets that were paid. So I was on a music, uh, a music video for, uh, is it BAP? It's like a Korean rock band or Korean pop band, K-pop band. Um, and that music video has like a couple million views and I actually got like paid for it. And I just like ran around and did the lights. Um, so like I was on some bigger sets. I, I also did one for HBO helping with one of the documentaries they did following the uh, hockey teams during the winter classic. Oh, that is, that is so, that is so cool. I see this is like why I don't want to like do like a podcast or something like this. Cause like, there's so many th- other things that people can do that you can do while still studying physics. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah. So like, I guess overall sort of how was your undergraduate experience? It, it seems like both this filmmaking side, you know, that would take up a lot of time. And then I know in my experience, physics also took up a lot of time. So I imagine like, you were probably busy all the time, I imagine. Did you do other activities or anything as well? Um, I mean, I did a little bit. I, for a while I was involved in jujitsu, which is a martial arts. Um, and I still do that today. Um, and then I still, I mean, I did things socially. So like I'd go to the football games, I'd hang out with my friends. Um, but I didn't have any like regular activities, um, other than really like filmmaking and, and kind of doing that stuff on the side. That's cool. Jiu-Jitsu, that's the, that's like a lot of grappling and on the floor stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. How did you get into, how long did you do that and how did you get into that? Uh, I got into that in high school. I started in Taekwondo and I actually started taking those lessons because I was a catcher for softball and I was told it would like help increase like my agility and flexibility. And so I started in Taekwondo and I actually ended up like quitting softball and staying in Taekwondo. Um, and then we started learning some bits of jujitsu and it was like, I'm, I'm short and I'm not very fast. And so like Taekwondo was all about like kicks and like sparring. And I was like, this doesn't work for my body type. And so I realized that jujitsu is, is a lot more adaptable um, to different body types and kind of like worked for me. And so I started that, I want to say when I was like 16 or so, um, but I didn't have like a consistent gym out where I lived that really taught it. So I kind of was like taking lessons where I could get them. Um, and then University of Michigan had a jujitsu club that I, I went to for a while. Um, and then that kind of fell apart because they were redoing our intramural building. And so we lost our, our space to practice. Um, so like over time, I mean, then I got back into it when I came out to, to grad school. Um, I found a gym out here in, uh, in East Lansing. So um, over time, it's probably been more than 10 years, but I've taken some, some, some significant breaks in there. Okay. That's, that's pretty cool. So I would imagine... Um, Forever ago, when I was like very, very young, I did. I attempted Taekwondo for a little bit. And I broke my arm because I managed to like break a kicking bag because <laughs> I am awkward and uncoordinated. <laughs> um, but that was like when I lived in Arizona and then I moved to like Colorado and we like tried to go somewhere else. And I was like, it was just different, even though it's like still the same, you know, martial art, I suppose. Um, and jujitsu has it been different in like the different places that you've practiced it? 
Yeah. I mean, it, it always is a little bit different. Um, the nice thing about the place I found out in Lansing is that it's more of a like community and a little more consistent where like, you know, in undergrad, it was, it was a student club, which like, you know, we paid dues so we could bring in like a higher up belt to teach us stuff, but it was still like, you know, a lot of like mostly college boys because like, and there was a handful of girls. Um, and so it was just kind of like, you know, that age group where now that I'm out in Lansing, you have like a, a lot more different ages. They have like a kid's class. Um, they have like a larger group of women. And so it kind of feels more like you always kind of bond with whoever you're going to be like doing this kind of stuff with, but um, it really feels more of a like community and not just like an, a, a club on campus. Okay. Do you, so do you still interact with, with people through that it sounds like you there's like much of a lot of different groups and communities that you're a part of so it seems like you have like a good group of people you can interact with yeah yeah I mean it's been hard because obviously jujitsu is one of those that you definitely can't do during COVID um so I've talked to some of those people a couple times um but I've kind of missed that interaction recently in person um but yeah I definitely still especially like Facebook friends um, it's really cool to see, like, if other, like, other people who I did jujitsu with, like, 10 years ago, um, like, where they're at, and if they're still practicing, and some of them still are, or just kind of getting some updates on their life. So. I'm curious on, like, what your experience is. So, like, okay, you're joining a club or something like this. I'm assuming when you first join, you don't know anyone there. Like, how is that how how easy would would you say it is to kind of like adapt and meet new people in a group like that yeah or just any group (laughs) yeah it really depends um so the the nice thing that i find is like i'm when i i'm not like i don't really call myself an extrovert but when i'm in a social group i can like put myself out there and talk to people and the way i the way i like have gotten comfortable with that is like realizing that I'm coming to this group for a reason and we all have a shared interest, like at least one shared interest. And so like kind of just being comfortable to kind of like, you know, talk about yourself, but also like acknowledge that you have the shared interest to kind of start your common ground. And then I typically find that I'm, you know, able to find a lot more common ground with, with different people. Um, but obviously the group itself is going to help. Like there are groups that are more clicky than others. Um, so then it's kind of hard to kind of insert yourself into a new group. Um, so, you know, it, it just, it also depends on how receptive that group is, but I feel like most, most groups are like trying to like always expanding and bigger, whether this is like the grad student, you know, social grad student group things that I do, um, or, you know, something with jujitsu, um, or like, you know, I really want to be going to, there's a Lansing Longsword Club that I really want to join. But of course, my uh, my joining that club coincided right with COVID, so I haven't been able to to start those yet. What kind of club is that? Longsword. There's a longsword club. What is what is that? I don't know what that is. Um. So it's it's like uh you know like sword fighting. Um, okay. It's like based off of I want to say they actually based it off of like actual like medieval, um like historical sword fighting practices. Um, so there's, there's a couple grad students actually at, at Michigan State physics grad students that are involved and I've been, uh, interested in joining. Oh, that, that's super cool. 
Oh, oh wow. Yeah. There's just so many things like I just don't know about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting because like, you know, especially when I got to grad school, I started looking beyond the, the, the university clubs because I did a lot of university clubs at, at Michigan um, and most of them were film related. Um, but, you know, once now that I feel like I'm older, but also just like Lansing is just such an interesting community that they have a lot of clubs that aren't associated with the university itself that are just like really cool. How do you, how do you find out about some of these clubs? How do you stumble upon these? Yeah, I mean, some of it's like word of mouth. Um, you know, like one of my old jujitsu friends was the one who told me like of the gym that she liked out here. Um, Cause she knew some people who had like come over to her place, like the place that she practices at. Um, and so, and I guess that's the same thing with the longsword club is I heard other physics grad students talking about it and I was like, oh, that's cool. Um, yeah, so I mean, and it's also just like, if you have an interest, like just kind of looking it up online um, or putting it out there and like whatever social media space and seeing if like other people can direct you to like a good, a good group of people who are gonna help you actually like join and get going. Okay, super cool. Um, so, so you went to University of Michigan, now you're at Michigan State. Were you, are you originally from Michigan? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I didn't plan on staying in Michigan for undergrad or grad school, and I just kind of ended up for both of them. Okay. So then I, I guess, okay, first then, how did you end up at University of Michigan then? And then we can talk about how you ended up at Michigan State. Yeah. Yeah, I applied. So in, uh, I went to a high school. Um, it was an international baccalaureate program. So there's a couple international academies around. Um, and so the idea is just like, it's very similar to like AP classes, but they're called IB. Mm -hmm. um, and so in the, and when you go to an international academy, you take like all of your core classes are IB. Um, and so I went through that program um, because I was pretty motivated. I really wanted to go to like, I guess like MIT was one of the top of my lists that I was like really hoping for like some big Ivy League school. Um, even though I like still, I never really had like a career path specifically in mind. I just was like, I like science and engineering, like I'll find something. Um, and so, yeah, so when I went to IA, like I did well. And then I applied to like, I don't even know, 12 schools or something for undergrad. And just like, you know, some acceptances rolled in from a lot of like local schools. And then I got rejected from like all of my dream schools, um, which was a bit of a shock, but like also the best thing ever that could have happened to me. Um, so I kind of had to kind of reframe how I was thinking about like my college career and um, kind of looked around at the schools that I was looking at, which I had some smaller liberal arts schools and my school um, the IB program I went through only had like 56 students in our graduating class. So I was used to a very small school with like a very like, you know, specific focus on the students. Um, and so I was thinking that for college, um, which of course U of M is like very large and big. Um, and so I ended up picking that because I realized that I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, and I had started this, this interest in film. And I knew that like U of M obviously has a film production program that I didn't at the time expect to major, but I thought maybe I could help out on their student sets. Um, and then like, no matter what science I ended up in, they'd probably have a strong program for it. Um, 
So that's kind of how I ended up there. But I also went through the residential college program because I wanted that like smaller community. Um, and I knew I was probably going to have trouble finding that in a large school like U of M. And so I went through the residential college program, which was like very focused on the arts. Um, and so we had like a lot of like extra opportunities to do some like interesting writing classes. I think my freshman writing course was like the trials and tribulations of Harry Potter, I think was my writing course. Um, and I was like, yes, this is, this is what I want from a school. <laughs> so yeah, I ended up actually at the residential college um, at, at University of Michigan. Oh, that's, that's super cool. So yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm curious about the residential college. That sounds like a really, really nice experience or a cool experience and that you get to do something different. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and it was it was one of the things that definitely ended up getting me over to U of M, even though I wanted a, a small school experience, and it, it helped do that, um, because you live in the dorms for your first two years, um, all of the, like, residential college professors have their offices in that dorm, so it was very easy to go talk to them, um, and most of your classes were in that dorm, and so it was really, like, that smaller college feel, um, and that was another way I found a community without, like, you know, having to like, even, I, I kind of just like, I'll put myself into that community because I knew it was going to be hard to kind of find my niche at, at U of M from the start. Yeah, I, I did something, not exactly the same, but I did something similar like my undergrad when I was in like the honors college and like our buildings were in like the honors resident hall and like that's where our classes and, and stuff were. As and we gotta take these classes that are not related. Like I think we also did the, like there's a class I was on like children's literature or something. It was like similar vein as like the Harry Potter class, where it was like it was really interesting. It's something different. Um, and then I told oh okay so then I guess where I'm curious, um, I'm not limiting the students' physics. I want you to think about all the classes you've taken. Like what was like your either favorite class or some of your favorite classes that you took. Or I suppose, and like, yeah. I mean, I feel like, especially for undergrad, I took such like a broad range of classes. And I think one of my favorites of all time was, it was a race and ethnicity in video games class. And it was just such a cool way to come at looking at like race and ethnicity, but also just like how I can reframe, not just talking about video games, but like, a lot of my film classes helped me kind of break down aspects of film that I like never even realized were there. Um, and so, you know, the video games one was cool because we also had video game playing for homework. Um, <laughs> but like, you know, some of my other film classes, um, I typically wrote a paper on something called like the female gay or the male gaze, that's what it's called. And it's the idea that all films um, especially early films are made from a male perspective and meant to be watched from a male perspective. Um, and so that talks about like camera angle and like, you know, who they objectify and all that. And it was just like really interesting to me because I took this film theory from like, you know, that you read in these papers and then I can like go out and like watch movies with my friends and I can be like, ah, yes, I can see that this was made by a male director. And like, um, so I don't know, I think, Kind of some of the pieces I learned from my film classes were really cool too. Um, but of course, you know, I really like my programming classes for myself 
Um, they're just not as fun to talk about to people of like, guess what this, you know, I learned this really cool thing that I did in programming and I can make the computer do this. And like, nobody really cares about that. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> I get that. Sometimes yeah. someone asks me about physics. I'm like, oh, this is what I did. And it was like, cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The other day I was doing my research and I was like, I got the computer to like, run these three pieces of code in the right order like it has to wait for the other one and then run and i was like so excited because it took me so long and like everyone's like okay and i was like no you don't understand this was very difficult and this saves me so much time um but yeah it's it's a little harder to you know have someone get excited about it if they don't really aren't really entrenched at in what you're doing as you are so then how did you end up choosing MSU or ending up at MSU? Yeah, so that was kind of almost like a similar story as, as going to U of M where I kind of applied to like nine schools um, and I was told to apply to MSU because they had um, some neutrino physics, um, but also I'd been studying nuclear physics, which of course MSU is number one for. Um, and so uh, that was how MSU kind of got into my applicant pool of where I applied. And then um, I really only ended up getting a PhD acceptance from MSU. Um, I got a master's acceptance from somewhere else that was like, you pay your own way at Stony Brook for a year and then we might accept you. And I was like, okay, I either pay $60,000, well, $40,000 plus room and board in New York um, for a year and might not get into the PhD program or I go to MSU, um, which really isn't selling MSU. I totally, you know, I'm, I'm coming from my, my rivalry perspective when I was applying from, uh, you know, University of Michigan. And uh, luckily MSU was like the first to get back to me. And uh, so the first response I got was that I was accepted to a PhD program. And um, their visit weekend was one of the first that, you know, usually happen. And I was just really impressed with like all the professors um, that I talked to and everyone kind of having like, you know, being easy to access an open door policy. Um, and so, you know, I, I really ended up liking what I saw at the visit weekend. And so I was already kind of getting pretty sold on MSU before I even got uh, any of the other responses from schools. Um, so, and, you know, I didn't apply to any like backup schools, like all the schools on my list were places that I wanted to go. Um, I had expected to take a year off for research if I didn't get into grad school and kind of reapply. So um, I, I kind of made, I kind of, I don't want to say shot myself in the foot, but I, I already made the like the, the short list. And so I wasn't surprised that like physics grad school can be hard to get into. So I wasn't surprised that I only got the one acceptance, but I was very glad I did. And I'm very glad I ended up here. Do you have any tips or suggestions for say like undergrads thinking about grad school of sort of that process of what should they think about consider anything you think stands out yeah i mean i think for me the way i kind of looked at my schools was like what research i was interested in because i knew that at the time i'm not sure everyone knows that when they're applying to grad school um so like my way of looking around for schools was like who's doing research i'm interested in but I think it's important to like talk to advisors, you know, and find out like what schools they recommend because it's more than just like, you know, who's doing research you're interested in, but you also want a program that is going to make you comfortable. 
Um, some of the things I looked for in that MSU was pretty good at was just like, I'm not a great test taker. So I didn't want like a one and done qualifying exam. Um, I wanted a place that was going to give me multiple shots um, or like, you know, have different methods of just, you don't just sit down and take a test um, to kind of make their qualifying exam. Um, so like making sure that you know your strengths and making sure you find a program that will like help you work to your strengths, I think is really important. How was that transition from undergrad to grad, um, grad school for you? Um, you know, I, I guess it's kind of hard to say. I mean, the nice thing for me was the research really grounded me. Um, and so starting research before I got into grad school was I think the biggest help. Um, as I mentioned, I'm not a strong test taker, which also means I'm not like, you know, knocking it out of the park when it comes to my class grades. Um, and that can be pretty difficult, um, especially if like that's how you're measuring if you're a good grad student um, when you, because that's mostly what you're doing in your first year um, is taking classes and getting these test scores. So um, I think the transition for me was made easier by the fact that I came in ahead of time. I kind of established myself in a research group. I started doing research. So I kind of felt like I already belonged there. Um, before I even started the classes. Um, and I don't think the classes were necessarily like a big step up from what I was used to. Um, it was, I think one of the hardest thing was just like, I had already established who I was working with in undergrad, like friends that I could do homework with. And then you kind of come into grad school and you're like, oh, I lost that network. Like I need to kind of rebuild that network. Um, which like, again, MSU does a great job with having their grad student lounge um, in normal times. So I would sit in there a lot, and so I could not, not just interact with people, but also get homework help from people or find out when people were planning on doing the homework. Um, so yeah, I think that was also a big help for me during that transition. Okay. And, or at least from what I've seen on Facebook, when you interact with like, say, Laura or you know, other people, it seems like you do have like a good cohort of, of friends here. Um, one of the things that I noticed, um, you and Laura have gone to like different comic cons, I think, right? And you've met famous people. So I don't know, just everything about you is like <laughs> jealous of like, or uh, jealous of you because <laughs> you do all these, all these cool things. Um, I don't really know a whole lot about like comic cons or anything like that. Can you explain a little bit of what your interest and involvement with those are? Yeah, so I mean, I've always been like a big event person. Um, so like, concerts are another one that I go to all the time. Um, and when I started going to concerts, I started realizing there was a lot of opportunity for like meet and greet tickets, and I loved that. And so that was kind of what got me like, finally, I realized I'm really into like superhero movies, and like, um, a lot of like nerdy TV shows, or classified as nerdy. I love it. I think it's great. Um, and so I noticed that like Michigan was doing a local comic con and so I was like yeah let's let's just go um and then I realized like you know as long as you have the money saved up you can like interact with these like famous actors um and so you know and I got into it like I'm never a person who does anything halfway so like I was like I'm going to comic con that means I'm gonna want to dress up um and so you know I work on some sort of costume um I'm now learning a little more how to like do basic sewing and stuff like that. But really I just kind of like put together some items of clothing, like Halloween costume-esque 
um, not like building my own stuff real crazy. Um, and then I went to Comic-Con and the first one I went to was super fun. Um, you just kind of like go in and there's a, mostly there's just like people selling art, um, which I thought was like super fun in itself. And now like my apartment just has like comic art all over the wall. Um, well, mostly like, you know, Star Wars and Marvel stuff. Um, but yeah, so then, and then you can also sign up to meet people. Uh, and the bigger the city is, the more likely you're going to get the big names. So last year, Laura and I went over to Chicago and we actually got to meet a, lot, a good number of the Marvel casts where um, I got a picture with like Chris Hemsworth and Brie Larson and stuff, which was super fun. Um, yeah, so that's kind of what I've been doing. Nice. Just to add on to all that free time that you have. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's definitely, you know, one of those things that's not, not, uh, you know, you can, you can make it just a weekend event, right? Like, you can just go on one weekend and, like, have it be that, but, like, you know, the last, the last costume I did, I actually did during quarantine, um, was, like, for a TV show that's not really big yet, it's called Motherland Fort Salem, um, and they had done a panel at the virtual Comic-Con, and I sent in a picture and they actually, like, their official social media people, like, reached out and they're like, can we, like, put this on our page? Like, this is such a great, like, costume. And, like, the, the main actresses responded saying it was great. And so it was pretty cool. Um, and it did take a bit of time to actually, like, put that one together. So um, you, can, you can get really deep into it or you can just kind of go for a fun weekend and, like, not everybody even wears a costume. That's really cool. I'm like so jealous of <laughs> you're just like in everything <laughs> like oh yeah I just I did this and I did that <laughs> you know I like mixing it up and learning new things and just like anything creative so you know yeah I haven't been doing a lot of film sets recently and so instead I was just like yeah I'll learn I learned some 3d printing for comic-con too so I could make my own lightsabers um and it's just like, yeah, I'll go learn this like new, fun, creative thing that I can do. Um, it's all about the balance, right? Like in undergrad, I kind of had that balance built in because anytime I got tired of my physics homework, I'd move to my film homework. And then when I got tired of reading that article in the film, I'd go back to physics. Um, and so I kind of had to like find new and interesting ways to, to do that in grad school. That's, that's super, that's super great. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think, is there anything else you would, you would like to talk about or is? Um, I guess I could probably talk a little bit about outreach because I've done a lot of that too. Oh, yes, absolutely. It's like another way I try and keep balanced um, in terms of like, not just doing the physics all day long. Mm -hmm. So uh, I started out in the Women and Minorities and Physical Sciences group, WAMPS. Mm -hmm. At, at Michigan State, um, which was really great. And I love that group. Um, and so they do a lot of like, you know, they do a lot of the, the discussions or, or um, kind of having people kind of come together and maybe even brainstorm some uh, things like we've, we've done, like how to improve the recruitment weekend for the department. Um, so that was really cool. Um, but then I actually, my third year, I took a more active role and I ended up um, uh, being co-chair for the Conference for Undergraduate Women in Physics. 
Um, so that was like super rewarding, but also like super time consuming. <laughs> and so my research kind of got put on hold for a couple months there. Um, but it was really cool because we had like, I think we accepted almost like 200 women in, in our region to like come to the MSU's Commerce Undergraduate Women in Physics, um, which they run like 12 sites simultaneously. And um, it's like very, very, like the students don't pay for very much. Like most of it is covered like room and board um, and uh, food and all that um, is the conference pays for so that we can get as many like undergraduate women through the conference as possible. Um, what, does, like, what does the conference entail for the most part? Is that? Yeah, it's, it's three days of, uh, you know, conference activities and it's really up to like whatever the local site wants to do. Um, it's, it's overseen by, by APS, the American Physical Society. So there's like some certain things that you have to do, but really it's just like, there's talks on science. Um, and so we have a lot of like, um, female scientists come and, and talk about their work. Um, but also we did a lot of like parallel sessions. So some of them were like professional development of like how to interview, how to write a resume. Um, we did a like programming workshop. So like an introduction to Python programming. Um, and then there's also things like talking about, um, you know, like there's an LGBTQ round table. Um, there's like kind of ways to uh, deal with uh, implicit bias or um, imposter syndrome. So they're, they're, we kind of tackle like the broad range of not just the science, but things you might experience in science and that we should have conversations about um, on top of also like professional development. So it's a very like wide range of things that you can cover. Um, but, and then of course, we also make sure that everyone networks and we have a poster session to give the students opportunity to kind of um, help with that, that side of their professional development. Oh wow, that, that's super cool. Yeah, I, I really like that conference. I attended it three times in undergrad myself. And so like, as a grad student, um, uh, Claire Kopenhofer was the one who had already applied to have it at MSU. Um, and so her and I became co-chairs for that. Um, we're both grad students and we had just like experienced it and it had done so much for us that we really wanted to kind of run one ourselves and uh, we did it, which was, <laughs> I now have experience running a conference, which I didn't really expect to get in grad school, but it was really, really rewarding. That's really cool. About how many people come to this or? So it depends on like what the site can accept. I think we accepted 195 students um, and then every time, it's in January, so of course every time there's like a really snowy weekend. So I think we ended up with like 160 students who like actually made it. Um, but yeah, so ours is one of the bigger sites um, and we had about 200 students who, who were accepted. That's really cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I think between speakers and volunteers we hit another like 100 people. Um, so it was like 300 people total that we had to plan for. Nice. I imagine that would be very stressful, but yeah, that's really cool that you're able to put that together. Yeah, yeah. And it was like, you know, it's one of those things where like, that was an opportunity that came up that like, isn't very usual. Um, but even just like being able to help out with like WAMPs and like, you know, doing even the local outreach that's set up. And like, I think I got to go to like a second grade class once and like teach them about like the states of matter and like show them liquid nitrogen and like, um, you know, those are like local things that are kind of like everyone 
can get involved in and it's great um and so like I also try and do that but like I took a year to kind of plan this this one bigger thing mm -hmm. nice I'll, I'll keep that in mind when we when we do WAMP's outreach events I'll make sure to <laughs> keep you in contact <laughs> oh yeah yeah those are fun nice so do you you said you wanted like your plan was to go into academia um sort of to maybe yes maybe no i don't know i really you know i should probably know by now but i'm actually planning on doing an internship next summer and we'll see if that happens okay uh, yeah that's pretty abnormal for someone in physics but um most of the cmsc students do some sort of computational internship during their time um and so kind of walking that line of the dual degree, I'm trying to do an internship for one of my summers. Okay. Okay. Cool. So I, that gives me a little bit of hope of like, I don't need to know exactly what I'm doing with my life, you know, <laughs> 10, 10 years in advance, right? Right. Well, and that's kind of the thing. I mean, you know, I'm trying to tell myself, like, I also don't need to know, even like two years from now, like, I don't need to know yet. And even if I decide, like, let's do a postdoc, I can always go into industry. Or if I go into industry, I can see if there's opportunities to go back into academia in the future. So um, I'm trying not to put too much pressure on myself to make that decision. <laughs> but like, you know, all the options are really open for me right now. Um, there's certain things that I know that I'm like not interested in, in terms of just like, um, like policy and stuff. I'm not really interested in going in that route or like, uh, journalism, like science journalism, I'm not really interested in going that route. So I, I can cross some things off the list, but I still have quite a wide range left on my list of potential futures. All right. Well, that's pretty cool. I look forward to finding out where <laughs> where life takes you. Um, but yeah, thank you for coming on and doing this. I think this was this was a great conversation. Yeah. Thank you very much.